today uh, we will be looking at some meditation techniques from the Upanishad and from the Bhagavad Gita uh, for, uh, for inner peace, harmony, and particularly acceptance. And uh, this is because most of the time the difficulties come in one's life uh, and they are exacerbated because of non-acceptance. In fact, non-acceptance is everyone's middle name. <laughs> this is how it is. <laughs> Uh, because it is, uh, uh, it is contrary, whatever is happening in one's life is generally contrary to one's expectations. And this uh, becomes a very insurmountable uh, problem, even on the level of the day-to-day. -day. And so today we'll be looking at some of the ways in which to overcome some of one's own internal resistance and fears in order to facilitate some of this transformation. So let us begin with a small meditation, sitting wherever you are, eyes softly closed, as though on their own, with softly being underscored. If we look, if we visualize within, in the inner eye, a picture or a icon of the meditating Buddha, we see what softly means. There are no creases. The brow is not furrowed. And it even looks like the upper eyelid is just barely touching the lower eyelid. You can practice this once again. Half open the eyes and then softly close. As though the upper eyelid is a butterfly landing on the lower eyelid, which is a flower. As always, it is good to remind oneself that right now, sitting as we are, there is nothing to do, nowhere to go, 
nothing to accomplish, nothing to gain, nothing to lose. We then pay attention to the posture. The head, neck and back are in a single straight line. Shoulders descend, back, moving away from the ears. And the breathing is natural, soft. From here, we can gently lengthen the breathing so that the inhalations and exhalations are roughly of the same length. If it helps, you can count or simply breathe silently. All this is talked about at length in the Bhagavad Gita at the end of the fifth and at the beginning of the sixth chapters. Samam kaya shiro grivam. Head, neck and back are in a single straight line. Dharayan achalam sthiraha. And this posture is maintained without moving around too much. 
eyes softly closed. The gaze is towards the tip of the nose. Sampreksya nasikagram tvam swam. The eyeballs inside the eyelids are not restless. and darting about behind the closed eyes. Dishascha anavalokayan. Pranapanao samau kritva. Stabilizing the respiration. Breathing through the nose, not through the mouth. These are the preparatory steps because without the preparatory steps, it is difficult to go within or inwards. An important preparatory step comes next, wherein Lord Krishna advises one to keep the external world outside. Bahyan sparshan bahihi kritva. Sit down to meditate, he says, after keeping the outside world outside. This means that perhaps the outside world sneaks within. How to keep outside what is already outside is an interesting question. For this, we can go through some visualizations. Common things that we have already seen. I visualize a range of mountains. Now, in relation to these mountains, I am a free person because I don't want the mountains to be taller or shorter or of a different shape. I'm happy 
however they are. In relation to the mountains, I am a non-demanding, appreciative, contented person, objective. This is how the mountain is, mountains are. In other words, there is no problem accepting the mountains as they are. Whenever I do this, appreciation comes naturally. Contentment is a way of being. Next, I visualize a river. Again, in connection to the river, I'm objective, appreciative, non-demanding, contented. I don't wish the river to be wider than it is, narrower than it is, or at a different location, or of a different speed. This is how river is. Now, I visualize parents, the mother, whether she is in this body or not, I visualize the mother. Here, something interesting happens. Immediately, one can see that there is a big difference between the mountain and the river and the mother. The river, the mountain, are objects outside. The mother is outside as an objective person with her own personality, history, karmic trajectory, etc. But the mother is also, so to speak, inside, internal, rather internalized.
this is where Lord Krishna's advice comes to the rescue. The mother that is inside oneself is in the form of unmet expectations. I wish she were other than who she is, who she was. This internalized mother has to be put outside, so to speak, before the meditation can begin. How does one do that? I visualize the mother and acknowledge this is how she is or she was in my perception. This is an important observation. In my perception means I acknowledge my own subjectivity. I could be wrong or my perception could be right. Retaining the love and the caring for the mother I grant her the freedom to be who she is, who she was, completely. The extent I'm able to give her the freedom to be who she is, who she was, is the extent to which I am able to offload the personalized, internalized mother, a conceptual, subjective mother, and see the mother objectively. There are no more two mothers, one external, one internalized. So therefore, visualize the mother, grant her the freedom to be who she was, who she is. It doesn't affect your love, your caring. Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om. Now, same thing with the father. 
visualize the father. This is how father was, father is in my perception. Retaining the love for the father, the caring for the father. Take the time to grant him the freedom to be who he was, who he is in your own perception. The extent one is able to do it is the extent that one is able to be free of those expectations, unmet, unmeetable expectations. The subjective father internalized in the form of disappointment, anger, fear, etc. is no longer there. All there is, is one father, yet one more person in the universe. Objective. Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om Namaha. We'll do this one more time. On your own, you can do this with regard to someone in your life currently. Spouse, child, friend, significant other, etc. Visualize the person. Acknowledge this is how they are in your perception. Take the time to grant them the freedom to be who they are. Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om Namaha. Sometimes, even after doing this exercise, there are 
remnants of wishes, hopes, desires, disappointments in relation to the people in one's life. So now we take those expectations and lay them on the altar that is the infinite Bhagavan, the absolute Bhagavan, the infallible Bhagavan. O Lord, O Goddess, I lay these unmet needs, expectations at your feet. Take them away. Grant me freedom from their hold. Help me to see that these emotions that certain people arouse within me have nothing to do with me, the Atma which is free of these emotions. I release them to you from where everything has come and into which everything resolves. Resolve these core issues these difficult emotions so I can make strides in my spiritual endeavors. Om Shanti 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 When you're ready, open your eyes slowly and come back here for a bit so we can have some time discussing what went on just now. After all, this is an interactive thing. So let us see. If you have any questions, thoughts, any uh, clarifications needed, or anything you wish to share 
about what all we did just now. Anything? Anything you want to share? Because we have put this as a workshop, which means that it is more of a back and forth. So uh, whenever you know there is a good place to stop, I will stop and then take questions, take your thoughts, take some if you want to share your experiences, you can unmute yourself or you can uh, write in the chat box. I have something I can say, uh, and that is that um... I thought it was really neat to, to think One about. Second. One second, I'm having difficulty hearing you. I'll put. Yeah. Oh. oh, okay. Yes, please repeat. Yeah, the thought that I was having is I hadn't really ever imagined in meditation, putting aside the things I struggle with uh, as um, up giving them to Bhagawan, you know, that was just something kind of foreign to me. But because I struggle with those things every day, it seemed like, um, can you hear me? Okay, because my internet connection isn't very good. Um, I, I love the idea of it. And it just, um, and also the the separation of what I expect uh, of myself and my mother, you know, and, and having those be a separate thing. Um, because you don't you don't really think of them as being separate and and so that was very helpful in that way too you know just those those things um in terms of meditation like you said i think it's very if those things are on your mind and you're struggling with them so you have to do something with them in order to meditate so i thought those were very very sound suggestions very practical and i wanted to thank you for that uh, it is all uh and and uh, you know and before that the bhagavad gita uh, because there he talks about lord krishna talks about this parshan bahyan bahihi kritva kritva having kept having done sparshan means that sprishyate iti sparshaha sprishyante meaning those that are contacted sense organs are what are being here things that are the objects of the senses and you are absolutely correct. We don't think of the mother and the father as objects of the sense organs, but that's what they are because they evoke certain sensory perceptions and from there certain feelings and thoughts. And over time, those thoughts get very ingrained and they fuse uh, you know, with the objective uh, person and the subjective person fuse into one blob in, in the heart and in the mind. And even if we are not struggling, as you pointed out, in the course of the meditation, even if we are not having any struggles, 
they are eclipsing the meditation because they have come in at a time or in, in fact they haven't come in they are they are sitting in a place where i have to clear out to find out what is already in there and what is already in there is one's own self as bhagavan so thank you for that input a uh, very nice here there is here is a comment when i think that everything is external doesn't really have anything to do with the real me i find that very difficult like giving up desires as they arise is also difficult i will need a lot more practice in really identifying with what i am well you know oh and then there is some more here uh, oh it's a it, this is a different one so yeah so there uh, so yeah uh, the, that is why we practice we practice together we practice individually and uh, and the thing is the thing to know is that the desires come and they go in sleep the desires are not there at all you are you, you're not even giving up the desires they are just not there you are free of desires in sleep every night in sleep you are free of desires naturally and so that here is is a is a clue because in sleep whatever is difficult in the waking state is uh, is so effortlessly accomplished very very effortlessly accomplished and so that shows that there is a point here and this point is that uh, there is a uh, there is a you that is there that is that is objective free of impressions free of pains sorrows its fears and free of non acceptance and so that is there and you're right it has to be it's not so much about practice but something that is discovered every day little by little it's almost like getting to know a new person when you get to know a new person you know you don't know them very well so you say oh what do you like who are you you know so it's like going out for tea with yourself and making the time to get uh, acquainted with that i which is non complaining appreciative non demanding and contented and objective person because that is the real you the other things are eclipsing that and so here we are separating it for the sake of discovering it in meditation yeah now another comment question here and uh, so whatever or whoever is behaving they are behaving as they are supposed to be like the mountain or rivers according to the laws so it seems that there is nothing to change except our own perception bingo yes <laughs> because that's how it is and even let's say there is an outlaw outlaw means like some kind of a robber or something who is not behaving according to the law in fact he is behaving against the law let us say that but even in that case that person is in place oh but what if he robs me if he robs you also is he it he is in place why because he has given you instant vairagya so yes there is a purpose <laughs> he is also in place 
everything is in place because everything is uh, according to laws as you say and those laws are another name for bhagavan those laws are not the mandate or the dictat of bhagavan it is a manifestation of bhagavan very beautiful so yes so what we do is we just see things as they are and that perception as you know has to shift the perception is subjective it is laden with unmet expectations it is laden with sorrow with fear with disappointment anger and that is all fused with the person uh, and that that's how it is and you know even though we give the uh, you know example of river and mountain we think that you know it is universally it does not evoke any kind of a a strong response and that's why we choose things like mountain rivers which generally people have no problem with but i you know i encountered a person uh, who had come to the ashram once and then i said uh, she was having a difficult time so i said let's go for a walk she said where i said here by the trees she says i hate trees so <laughs> there went my imagery there <laughs> so there is that sometimes even even what we think are um, you know benign uh, uh, things in nature evoke strong responses but generally speaking that's not the case and then uh, yeah we need to stop identifying with what we are not that's true easier said than done but we have we begin somewhere then can we pray that bhagavan manifests uh in giving us uh, in the form of an easier time yes please pray that is why that is that is the best thing to pray for or or alongside that prayer you can add another prayer let whatever obstacles come let them you know not be insurmountable give me the ability give me the grace give me the uh, give me the uh, strength to overcome them to face them that is also a very important prayer of a mumukshu yeah any other thoughts doubts you want to share okay let's go on with another module if that's the case if this is a good point to start a little more meditation again in the same uh, in the same vein uh, let us do that come back to the position head neck and back in a single straight line let the eyes softly close take a few deep breaths focusing the mind on the breath
let us pay attention to the body and ask the very important question, is this body external or internal? Can I have a relationship with this body which is objective, non-demanding, appreciated and contented. We do the same thing that we have been doing so far. Visualize the body from the head to the toe as though you are seated in front of a full-length mirror. Acknowledge that this is how the body is in your perception. This is how the body is in my perception. My perception may be right, it need not be right. Visualize the body part by part. Just visualize head, neck, shoulders. front of the body, front of the torso, back of the torso, right arm, arm, elbow, forearm, hand, fingers. Same thing on the other side, right arm, left arm, left elbow, forearm, fingers. Then I visualize the chest, stomach, abdomen. They rise and fall with the breathing. right leg, I simply visualize thigh, knee, calf, ankle, foot, left side, 
Kite, me, calf, ankle, foot. Back of the body, I simply visualize. Shoulders, upper back, mid back, lower back, hips. This is how this body is. And looking deeply, I can see that there are numerous things about this body that I cannot change. Height, general weight, color of skin, the original color of the hair. predilection to certain diseases, blood group, so many things about this body I cannot change. This is how the body is. Let me now take the time after acknowledging how the body is to grant it the freedom just to be what it is, how it is, when it is. This is how the body is. Moving now to visualize, to watch the mind. Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om Namaha. The thoughts in the mind come and go like the mantra. 
Now here, now gone. Now here, now gone. That which comes and goes is called Sakshya, the object of my perception. My body is an object of my perception. My mind, an object of my perception. My senses, objects of my perception. So many objects. Who is the subject? Who is this meditator? Dhyata Kaha, who is this? Meditator. Again, if there is a resistance, if one is not able to be in the place of objectivity with regard to the thoughts, take recourse to prayer. Hey Bhagavan, hey Bhagavati, O oh Lord. O oh Goddess, free me from the hold of emotions, identifying with the emotions. Let me be vigilant. Let me have the ability to embrace the things that I cannot change, even within what I call myself. Help me to let go of difficult emotions, guilt, hurt, sorrow, fear, anger. Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om Namaha, Om. Once again, let us open the eyes and then reconvene here to, to see if we have any questions, anything to discuss, etc.
Oh, Swamini. Yes, one, that was that one, was one second. Let me turn on this. So that was very um, especially helpful for me today because I my body's not feeling well. I have a lot of pain and a lot of something going on. And when that happens, sometimes I get caught in the mind trying to figure out why or what's wrong or going either to fear or obsession about the body or wanting it to be different, wanting more energy instead of just accepting that this is how it is today. And and so, yeah, that exercise just reminded me of how to find that separation because sometimes I get lost and when the body doesn't feel well, I lose the mind consciousness sometimes. So to look at each one of them separately and just to objectify it more was really helpful, especially today. And, and I realized I can do that anytime when I'm caught in that cycle, so yeah. and thank you for sharing that because there is you know there is that mix up there is this great mix up between the between the body mind complex and the eye so sometimes one identifies with the physical body like when one says i am thin i am fat i have put on weight Somebody, if they say that, then that means they are only talking about themselves, uh, identified with the body. Or sometimes one says, I'm sad. That means that uh, they are talking about the state of the mind, which has uh, sneaked in to the concept of the I. I'm sad, I'm restless. These are states of the mind. And then again, as you pointed out so wonderfully, there is a body-mind connection because if the body is not feeling well, it affects the mind. Oh, what's wrong with me? Why am I having this? Uh, you know, when am I overcoming this? Am I getting lazy? Am I, will I be unable to meditate? All these are, then we get into the realm of judgment. And there, there cannot be judgment unless there is a, a, an identification. And this identification is actually a misidentification. And that's what we are discussing here. So that we are just, we are not even trying to, you know, uh, it doesn't even need to effort to delineate. Uh, it's just, uh, as soon as you see that these things come and go, then as soon as you understand, like when you ask yourself, who is this I? Who is this I that informs the body-mind sense complex, that indwells the body-mind sense complex? Even in that question is a presupposition that the two are different, but there is some kind of an enmeshment. So, uh, so thank you for sharing that. Then here is uh, one more. Mm, sorry to ask again, no need to apologize. And then, uh, uh, how important are emotions? What is their function? How do they help 
the individuals in knowing oneself. Emotions are Bhagavan, really. The presence of emotions. Emotions are not outside of Bhagavan. So if somebody is feeling sad, that sadness is not outside of Bhagavan. Usually when one is feeling sad, one is also feeling lonely. The loneliness and sadness somehow go together and both are not outside of Bhagavan. Outside, what is Bhagavan? That which is. That which is objective, that which is, you know, this whole universe and the source of the universe we call God, Bhagavan. And so this Ishvara, another name for Bhagavan. And so this is all within the gamut of what we call Bhagavan. Ishvara, we don't say made the emotions. Nothing wrong, you can say that. But Ishvara is manifest in the form of the emotions as well. So this is a deeper and more sophisticated understanding. Because when you say, I'm sad and I'm lonely, if somebody says that, then you, know, you look into this sadness and this loneliness. This loneliness is a very interesting emotion, alienation, loneliness, because seven billion people in the universe can feel it, feel alone at the same time. So that's very interesting. And so same thing, anger, fear, uh, sadness, everything can be, uh, they are there. And when you look into it, you see Bhagavan in the form of a, psych a vast psychological order. Given this background, a person will feel sad at certain issue and have certain issues with sadness growing up, etc., etc., one can, you know, one can make these connections. That is why we have the order called psychology. We have a science. We have a science of the mind. We have psychology. And in that psychology, that, that's actually very comforting to know, oh, I'm not the only one feeling lonely. <laughs> when you see that, then you are not alone at all. Then you are no longer lonely when you see loneliness as an outcome of certain, certain childhood or early childhood experiences. Then where is the loneliness? Where is that feeling alone? It has been, quote unquote, Ishwarized. This is something wonderful. It has been Ishwarized. It has been made into the law of the universe. And that law is non-separate from the maker of that law, which is the manifestation of Bhagavan. So sim similarly, neglect, there is an explanation. There is a cause. There is a connection. There is a connection of, uh, of the experience of neglect in childhood to feelings of abandonment in adulthood. There is a chain. And then when you look at it, you are not just looking at your mind. You are looking at a fact. You see, already from the subjective mind, we have gone into the objective. This is something so beautiful. We have just stepped out of the subjective mind to the objective. That is why we take recourse to Bhagavan. Because, you know, that is what it is. Because they, they, without Bhagavan, then we are not able to see this objectivity. That which is objective is Bhagavan. 
And so when we take recourse to this form of prayer to say, okay, make me understand this or take, you know, help me to look into these emotions or take away these emotions so that I can be free. Take away this pain, take away this sorrow, this fear, this anger, the hold of this jealousy, whatever one is, you know, in the grip of. When you say that, then you see the reasons for it and the reasons seem extremely reasonable. Completely reasonable are the reasons. And so therefore, what happens is that it is something which is, uh, which we are able to see as a, um, you know, as a law. My anger is included in the, the Jagat, in the world that is Bhagavan. My fear, my alienation, my, you know, recalcitrant emotions, difficult to conquer emotions are all included. There is a reason why they are there. And as soon as you understand there is a reason for the rage, there is a cause uh, for the sorrow, it, it stops being your mind, your sorrow, that ownership is gone. When that ownership is gone, you're able to disidentify with it strategically to see it as Bhagavan. And that is when the healing begins. So how does it help the individual in knowing oneself? This is how. First, you know yourself emotionally, like these are the issues which trigger me. One can you know, find out these are the, what should I say, hot buttons. And so the hot buttons with practice, with meditation, with study become cold buttons. They're not easily activated. Then the mind gets calm enough for the, uh, for the teachings to sink in. The mind gets stable and it gets calm. So that is, you know, that is the uh, uh, cause of that. Uh, uh, so that is how to work with the emotions. It seems like prayer is an important part of this way of meditating. Thought meditating was mostly just being quiet and still. That is also a form of meditation. But here, when we talk, that is more of a contemplation. Nididhyasana is the Sanskrit word, contemplation. Now, whereas this one is more of a meditation, and we make a difference between the two, uh, the definition of meditation is saguna brahma vishaye manasavyaparaha. mental activity. Mental activity for whom, for which the topic is sagunam brahma, ishvara, bhagavan. So Bhagavan really features in meditation because without Bhagavan, there is no meditation because we repeat mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, that is also Bhagavan. And, uh, you know, so it is relating to Bhagavan. Just like a tree relates to the forest, even though it knows it's with the forest, but in the, if a tree were to meditate upon the forest, uh, the tree would, you know, uh, look at itself and, you know, visualize itself being part of the forest. So it's like that. So the individual relates to the total. And that is, you know, that is, that is what this meditation is. So the contemplation that you are talking about is also a kind of a meditation, you can say. And that contemplation has to do with um, quieting the mind, all right, 
and reveling in the glory of who one is, definitely. Then, what is a good length of time for a meditation? And why does the mind feel more comfortable running around in the waking state? Because that's, that's its job. The mind is supposed to run around, <laughs> you know. That's why to Lord Krishna, Arjuna says, you asked me to still the mind and you're asking me to mind the mind, but my mind is all over the place. It's easier to catch hold of the, the wind and bring the wind to, to you, oh Lord, than to, you know, to bring a fistful of wind to you rather than to meditate, rather than to mind the mind. And so uh, this, is, uh, this is very important. So it is the... Um, so the, that's why the, the mind's job is to move. If the mind were, the nature of the mind were to be still, then the world would be a very dull place. Like, for example, if the mind is not moving uh, fast, fast, very quickly, then you are unable to perceive motion. You wouldn't be able to perceive the motion of this hand going across the screen. You wouldn't be able to do that at all. Why? Because you are able to appreciate motion because the mind is able to just convey those impressions. The mind is able to run along with the, uh, you know, along with the deer in the forest. It's able to hop with the bunnies. It's able to perceive so many, you know, things. It's able to perceive the motion and bring that back in almost real time. That is why the mind runs around. However, the mind can, can, be, can be caught, so to speak, within quotes, the mind can be caught. And, and the quote-unquote catching the mind is something that is done, which is uh, through abhyasa, practice, and vairagya, letting go. These are the two, uh, the, these are the two things. Abhyasa, vairagya. So, uh, so you keep practicing, practicing what? Letting go. You practice letting go, just like we did in the last two segments. You let go of expectations connected to the parents and, the, and other people in one's life. You let go of the expectations connected to the body. You let go of the expectations connected to the mind. And so that is, that is what you know, one does. And so what is a good length of time I would say in the beginning, start small. Maybe just for one minute, sit. Keep a timer. And just say Om Namah Shivaya and focus on that. And then, you know, if uh, when, when one has mastered that, you go to one and a half minutes, two minutes, and then one minute, two times a day, one minute, three times a day. This way, you slowly gradually extend. So what is a good length of time? You know, we can, we can say about uh, like, you know, a mandala is about 48 minutes. So if you are able to do anything for 48 minutes, you have what is called a siddhi, japa siddhi, success, a kind of a conquering of the meditation itself. So you can say half an hour, 48 minutes, something like that. 
that is the prescribed length. But don't look at that. First, be comfortable with whatever you're doing because it's not the, there is no use sitting for 48 minutes fighting with the mind and fighting with every fiber of your being and being miserable. You know, you don't need to sit in and close your eyes in order to meditate and be miserable. You can be miserable without that. So, so without doing that, in fact, you're more miserable this way. So therefore, that's not the point. The point here uh, is that uh, the uh, quality wins over the quantity of time that one spends. So focus on quality, start in small increments, small little blocks of time, five minutes, one minute, two minutes, and then you do it regularly. And then you yourself will crave for longer. And then you will not know when time has gone because it becomes an enjoyable activity rather than a chore. Um, then the next one, it looks easy, so easy to see in the meditation that I'm not the body, emotions, senses. But as soon as the meditation ends, the old self comes back, like it is waiting on the corner for the meditation to finish. And then it jumps into the picture. Yeah, true. And in fact, the whole point of meditation, what is the point? What is the reason for meditation? The reason for meditation is so that one can be in open eye meditation all the time. Even without sitting, even without closing the eyes, one is in a meditative state all the time. One is objective. What is a meditative state? One uh, we have just seen. One is objective. One is uh, non-demanding. One is appreciative and one is contented and one is able to see the oneness of everything. One sees Bhagavan in everything. So the idea is that half an hour of closed eye meditation done regularly, half an hour, five minutes, whatever you're doing, done regularly leads one more and more to be in that place of the truth of the self even uh, after opening the eyes. This is, that is the idea. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is funny. There is some old self sitting there and waiting to jump uh, as soon as the meditation is over. In the beginning, that's how it is. But later on, what will happen is that this old self is not really, uh, is, is not going to bother in the same way. So that is the thing. Are you using terms of Bhagavan and Ishvara interchangeably? Yes. Do we pray to Bhagavan but identify with Brahman? Yes, but there is no Brahman without it being Bhagavan. So, so Brahman is Bhagavan because we live in a manifest universe. So, so we identify with this Bhagavan. Please show me yourself and let me know myself as non-separate from you. That is the prayer. That is the point of the study also. Yes, very good discussion. Let us move on to the, uh, to the last uh, visualization, the last part of the practice. Again, come back slowly.
Close the eyes softly. And in this mind, which is now prepared, you will place a mantra. For the sake of this meditation, we will use the Panchakshari, simple mantra, profound mantra, Om Namah Shivaya, Shivaya. Shiva means that which is pure, which is auspicious. The name of Bhagavan, auspicious. Namaha, a term for surrender. Om, a word for Bhagavan. which is there in the Upanishads. So gently place the mantra in the mind and repeat the mantra silently. There will be distractions. When the distractions come, You become aware of the distractions. You gently bring the mind back to the mantra like a mother shepherding her child away from traffic where it has run inadvertently. With that same love, without judgment, you bring the mind back to the mantra as many times as it takes. You can begin chanting softly now. Allow the chant 
to stop for a bit. Watch the spaces between the chants as I chant and pick up the chant as soon as I stop. Om Namah Shivaya 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 One more time, allow the chant to drop. Closely watch the spaces between the chants as I chant. Pick up the chant as soon as I stop. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya 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 One more time, drop the chant. Listen to the spaces between the chants 
as I chant and then pick up the chant. Om Namah Shivaya, 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 Om Namah Shivaya. 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 Allow the chant to drop. The chant. What is this? What is this thing? Chant. What does it reveal? It reveals my presence. Every chant reveals my presence. Without me, the chanter, there is no chant. Something to contemplate upon. What about the spaces between one Om Namah Shivaya and the next Om Namah Shivaya? What does that space, that silence, reveal? That silence also reveals me, I, as awareness, as in I am aware of this silence. And I am aware of the chant. Chant is nothing but awareness. Consciousness. Chant. Consciousness. No chant. Consciousness. Chant. 
the whole Ishvara along with the Jagat, the universe, no jaunt, Ishvara in Laya, in repose. When you are ready, you can open your eyes and we can reconvene to see what you got out of this. You can share uh, your thoughts, questions, etc. What happened here for you? What do you make of it? Was it helpful? If yes, how? If not, why not? Yeah, it was helpful. Sarah says, ah, because I thought I knew about meditation, but I did not know much about it. There are many forms of uh, meditation. This is one of them. You may know other forms. That's okay. Those are all valid. This one is, uh, today we are focusing on uh, internal what is that? Inner peace, harmony, acceptance. This is where, this is the emphasis. These are the emphasis. So that is why we use this form. And it is closely aligned to the Bhagavad Gita and the Katho Upanishad, from which the Bhagavad Gita has been you know, inspired. And uh, so... That is basically how we understand this. That has been the thing. Uh, and in this, we, I, I ask people to focus on the spaces between the jumps because that is where the distraction is waiting to happen. When you're saying Om Namah Shivaya, that time the distraction doesn't take place. Why? Because the mind is being given a job to do. The mind is being told, 
think one thought. Do not think all these thoughts that are coming. And therein lies a lot of uh, vairagya in meditation because like someone was asking, I think Vasanti was asking earlier, you know, I don't know how to give up the desires as they arise in the mind. They are replaced. Those desires as they arise in the mind are replaced by Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. Om Namah Shivaya. The mind is told, sit. I'm going to give you some thoughts to think. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Please give me some thoughts to think. The mind is happy because it's doing its job. But little does it know that it has to do only one job at a time. And it has to think only one thought. What is that thought? What is the first thought it has to think? Om Namah Shivaya. What is the second thought that comes? Om Namah Shivaya. What is the third thought? Om Namah Shivaya. What is the fourth thought? Well, is anything happening? I've been, how long have I been meditating? So you see those thoughts came. Om Namah Shivaya, gone. And this is called Vikshepa. This is called Vikshepa. Vikshepa means a diversion, a distraction. The distraction happens between Om Namah Shivaya number one and Om Namah Shivaya number two or Om Namah Shivaya number 250 and 251. It doesn't matter. But between two Om Namah Shivayas is the problem. That is why we do a kind of a Almost like a, this is like a negative meditation in negative. And what is that? You don't focus on the chant. The chant will come. The mind knows that this is what it has to do. You focus on this. You, you put your attention on the space between the chants. And then what happens, very interesting. What happens is that the distractions get fewer and the focus is better. The first thing that happens. The second thing that happens is this, you know, in the, uh, in the meditation, I ask the question, what is the chant? Can there be a chant without the chanter? No. Who is the chanter? You. <laughs> Who is the chant? Non-separate from you. But the chanter is consciousness. And chant is consciousness, awareness. Then what about the spaces between the two chants? Let us call that space no chant. No chant is also consciousness because I am aware that in between one Om Namah Shivaya and another Om Namah Shivaya, there is no, there is no, uh, there is nothing. I am aware of that nothing. Really speaking, there is no nothing because I'm aware of that space. That awareness is me manifest in the form of this space. And so that no chant also points to consciousness. No chant is sustained by consciousness. Chant is sustained by consciousness. No chant non-separate from consciousness. Chant non-separate from consciousness. Chanter non-separate from consciousness. That which is the chant or the chanted non-separate from consciousness. It's all just this one. And that is why we do it this way. So that is the that was the thinking behind it. I thought it's important to explain that a little bit. Uh, I found it useful because for a while there was no agitation. It was quite a nice of the mind looking at itself. Um, I was able to focus the mind much better when you switch between the chanting and the focus on the space 
and then myself chanting it. Sometimes I do japa, but wind up thinking about other things at the same time. Yeah, that is what happens. Here it is gently bringing the mind back. If silence feels more comfortable than the chant, what is it indicating? Nothing in particular. It is simply indicating that you are comfortable with silence. That's all. Nothing wrong. Because that silence is you, but that doesn't mean that whenever you talk, it is not you and it is somebody else talking. The talk is also you as awareness. But the silence has a little bit of a uh, resonance with a deep yearning to be quiet. Because you see, the whole day one has spent running around. Yeah, chant is Bhagavan, no chant is Bhagavan, and that Bhagavan is you. But then, that Bhagavan during the course of the day, pretending to be the waker, masquerading as the waker, you know, runs around doing lots of things in the company of lots and lots of people and all these things. And then so the mind is jumping up and down and so the silence is, is comfortable because that silence is something that is yearned for. Yeah, that is something that is wanted, that is something desired. Any other questions, thoughts? Hariyam Samanika. Oh, one second. Hold on. Hariyam, uh, can you hear me? Yeah, question is, um, it's so comfortable when we do guided meditation, when somebody is guiding, uh, when we listen to it, when is the right time to do on our own or is it better to just do guided? You know, Lakshmi, uh, I think that, uh, you know, the question was, guided meditation feels much more comfortable and nice. So is there a time to do, you know, when do we do the guided meditation and can we do this on our own in, with the same efficacy? You know, the thing is, Lakshmi, I would say that um, the, you know, the guided meditation is very helpful for in the beginning, one can say, or for a long time until one gets familiar with the meditator. Huh? who this meditator is, that with that meditator, one gets comfortable. And as one gets to know the meditator, then the uh, guided meditation, you know, you even without being guided, you, 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 will be, you will be internally guided to meditate. So, but until then, there is no harm in, in taking help, in taking, you know, taking assistance, uh, just like until the child learns to walk, it uses a prop, it crawls, it, you know, holds the hand. And once it begins to run, it doesn't need to hold the hand. That is what will happen. That is the natural course. But as long as is needed, one can use the guidance. Nothing wrong in that. Thank you. Any other Thoughts, questions? Okay, 
we will close here and uh, we will uh, uh, do we will just uh, do the closing prayer om sarve bhavantu sukhinaha sarve santu niramayaha sarve bhadraani pashyantu ma kashchit dukha bhag bhavet asatoma sadgamaya tamasoma jyotirgamaya mrityorma amritangamaya Om Purnamadav Purnamidam Purnat Purnamudachyate Purnasya Purnamadavya Purnamevavashishyate Om Shanti Shanti Shantihi Harihi Om Shri Gurubhyo Namaha Harihi Om Thank you very much. Om Namashivaya.